Hello, and welcome back to the fifth episode of Sociable, a podcast that puts you in the conversation. Through this podcast, we aim to discuss social issues, norms, and observations, all in a social manner. I'm your host, David. And I'm your host, Edgar. In today's episode, we're going to discuss fast fashion and why you shouldn't wear clothes. Okay. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Okay. We're going to get absolutely backlash for that. You know what? It's fine. Nobody listens to this anyway. So first, let's just define what fast fashion means. Basically, um, fast fashion, which I'm copying this from some website, but it's the clothing industry business model of replicating recent catwalk trends, really? Okay. And high fashion designs, mass producing them at low cost and bringing them to retail stores quickly while demand is the highest. So effectively what that means is the fashion industry creating artificial season so things go out of style and into style very quickly all of this so that they can sell products on a much faster basis uh and then like artificially increasing their profits so Mm -hmm. like you know the phrase how things go into style and things are out of style or like so last season like that's largely based around the concept of fast fashion right they basically take advantage of these you know shifting market trends um, people, you know, having changing tastes, as well as really, really fast production and delivery to kind of drive this demand for fast fashion that really didn't exist until, you know, recently. Or... Yeah, and I think, like, there are, it's just one of many methods that companies oftentimes use to just, like, kind of artificially raise their profit margins. So in a similar vein, there's things like planned obsolescence which is basically when companies like, like I think it's basically what Apple does a lot of the time, right? So you know how there are all these studies that show that your iPhone or your computer gets slower the older it is. So while some of that is partially due to just natural like wear and tear, a lot of the times I think Apple has been found to artificially and intentionally slow down those devices uh, via like software updates and things like that. So. The reason they do that is to eventually make those very obsolete so that you'll be compelled to buy the always buy the newest iPhone because you notice that your old phone is getting slower. Well, I mean, it's not like a completely intentional slowdown. It's just that yeah, newer yeah. OSs are, you know, designed for newer phones and the like. I think it's both. Like, there are natural reasons, but I think also they purposely designed their software so that it's not, like, backwards compatible with the old uh, products. But, but yeah, to be fair, Apple is like on the better side of um, <laughs> software support because you look at Android phones and then well, it's like three years uh, for four years uh, software support, whereas Apple, I think it's seven years or so until they like just cut it off from the update list. But I think at least for technology, it's kind of warranted because technology, uh, you know, it evolves so quickly, you know, like Moore's Law, whatever. Someone, someone in the, someone in the comments is gonna, or no, someone is gonna jump in our DM. Some like tech nerd is gonna be like, "Oh, Moore's laws doesn't apply anymore." I don't care. Anyway, the point is technology moves quickly, so it's kind of different. But yeah. So all of it, all of this is to say that oftentimes, oftentimes companies like, uh, I, I guess this goes back to the topic of like sustainable consumption. So a lot of the time, what we see in the status quo is that companies don't develop sustainably where they have very unsustainable practices 
Yeah, I guess nowadays though, companies are integrating more and more type of um, you know sustainability uh, policies into their business model. Like ESG is highly pushed for. Consumers are being more and more aware of the impacts that their um, purchases make. Why are, they, why are they being more aware? I don't know. It's just something that's more pushed for in the media. Um, it's information about it is more accessible. It's more of an urgent mm-hmm. issue. Yeah, I guess it's also due to the rise of Gen Z as like an audience within the market, right? Mm-hmm. Because Gen Z as a as an audience is probably the most. Okay, this might be an exaggeration, but probably one of the most politically engaged generations thus far, with in terms of like having easy access to social media that makes everything so highly visible. So these sorts of practices by companies like fast fashion or planned obsolescence, they're a lot more visible to us. So I think most people will agree that things like ethical consumption or environmental development is probably more important to Gen Z consumers than to like generations in like decades past. Yeah. Also, they're more like um, socially, technology, and you know, media aware, and they're comfortable. They're more comfortable about like digital payment, online platforms, and they can still shop without you know brick and mortar stores. And given that a lot of these fast fashion brands operate online, that kind of plays into it as well. Okay, so let's talk more about like sustainable consumption. It's oftentimes thrown around, but like, what does it actually mean? I mean, sustainable consumption. Okay, good question, Edgar. So basically, it's the use of material <laughs> products, energy, and immaterial services in a way that minimizes their impacts on like the environment. I think it's more than just environment. It's like、um, society and the economy and a lot of things. I think、right. the definition that we learned in bio is like development. Wait, development that meets the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their own needs. Or I might have just googled that. I don't、um, know, something like that. Oh yeah, that's the definition on the doc.、Um, yeah, I think. Sustainable consumption is inherently kind of、um, oxymoronic because the idealistic form, like the most ideal form of sustainable consumption, is just not consuming, right? But then that's just flat out impossible. Why is it? Why do you think it's oxymoronic, though? Well, I mean, because with the rise of things like the fashion industry, you see like. Um, other things emerge as well, like e-waste exponentially increasing in the last decade or so. All of these things kind of point to consumers just wanting to, you know, buy new products. I guess you gain satisfaction out of just purchasing products as well.、Mm-hmm. But also, you really can't use like a singular product for a long time. Not only because it will physically wear down, but also because you know,、uh, consumer. Uh, taste shifts.、Um, you know, producers have to innovate and give better, newer products for consumers to have the incentive to pay money to acquire a new product. Right? Like in the status quo right now, I kind of agree. It's pretty unfeasible to think we can achieve truly sustainable consumption. But it's things like political agendas, right? Like there are a lot of Politicians, I'd say, who 
get paid who necessarily like get paid and therefore stand against a lot of things like policies that might force companies to develop more sustainably so i think there's a lot of uh political agendas that dominate the momentum of the environmental movement also because like as you said consume as you said like producers want to minimize costs uh and they want to like offer the best services but investment into uh sustainable development is inherently very costly in the short term so like nobody really wants to be the first to actually do it they're all waiting for someone else to like show that it's very profitable that's true especially if you're like the only company losing out on profit margins whereas every other um, competitor in your market is you know not um producing sustainably but they're still gaining the profit margins that you don't have and also it's very difficult for SMEs to allocate their very limited, their already very limited budget onto sustainable consumption, as you said. Okay, considering it's so hard, do you still think it's important that we try to pursue it? Or do you think it's just like unreasonable? I think it's obviously it's important to pursue, but I think one of the main reasons why, like we as in the consumer and like the general public, why we can't really do that much is because there needs to be some like industry action, some large um, political lobbying or policy that needs to be policying that needs to be done to fix this. Because I saw a statistic on like a video, and because of my bad memory, this is probably inaccurate, but it was something like um, if you produce like zero carbon waste for um, the entirety of your lifetime, which is, I think it was 80 years or something like that, um, it would basically be a second of CO2 production like globally, right? So. If the individual does one thing, then we can't really change. And even if like a large majority of people do this, it's still hard to change. Like the fact is that large companies need to do something. They need to cut down on CO2 production. They need to stop, you know, fast fashion being an industry trend to even make a dent in the CO2 production that we're doing today. Wait, what do you mean in a second of CO2 production? As in the carbon footprint of your, you know, lifetime is equivalent to the carbon footprint of one second of carbon produced in the world. Oh, or something like wait. that. It was in a Chris Kazak video or something. Okay, okay, that sounds yeah. a bit confusing. Okay, I see what you mean. But I think that kind of thinking is dangerous, isn't it? Like when nobody thinks it's their responsibility. I think that's what makes it very hard to get anyone motivated to even do something. Because even if, as you said, industry action needs to be taken, someone needs to take the industry action in the first place. I think, I feel like it's more important that everyone feels like it's their responsibility. I mean, I'm not saying it's uh, wrong or it should be discouraged for individuals to, you know, make a change, but you would be lying to yourself if you said that as long as I stopped using this plastic bag every day. I can fix climate change. Like for example, even with the plastic bag example, I'm pretty sure you would need to use um, like a, a a cloth bag. I think it was oh, yeah. sixty thousand, forty thousand, like a large amount of times to be able to, able to to be. I can't talk to be able to offset the carbon cost made by the plastic bag, because with different products, there's different costs that they incur on the environment. For example, with like um, organic versus conventional plants, organic takes up a lot more space. It could take up more water, um, whereas conventional, you know, it requires fertilizers, thus damages the environment, but it takes up much less space. 
Um, you don't even have to put it outside, you can stick it in a greenhouse. Actually, you can do that with organic, but you get the point. For the individual consumer, it's very hard to gauge what you can do and do it effectively. And that's why we need like a very big change um, for you know big MNCs and corporations. I'm pretty sure I remember arguing with you in, in like math one time about cloth bags and plastic bags. Oh yeah, probably, honestly. Okay, we should probably get back on top. Wait, wait, I wanted to say though, like, sure. something that's a bit confusing to me is like, people say companies, companies produce a lot of CO2 or whatever, but I'm not sure if maybe I'm misunderstanding, but don't they do it in response to consumer demand? Like they don't produce goods for fun. They're producing goods because there's demand for them. So insofar as people demand those goods, they're going to produce those emissions. So I feel like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm misinformed, but in that case, then does it not become the individual's sort of responsibility? Uh, okay, I'll just say one more thing before we move on. But obviously they're doing it because there's a demand for it. I mean, it's kind of a chicken egg problem, right? Like companies won't stop doing it until there's no demand for it. But then the thing is, there will always be demand. Uh, sorry, there will always be enough demand to justify producing, for example, like beef. Even though it's like detrimental to the environment, there will always be demand for beef such that it is detrimental to the environment. Like the company itself needs to either limit supply, which is you know basically impossible, right? Because you can't convince a company to say, stop producing X, Y, and Z. Or they need to find a more environmentally sustainable method of producing their goods. Okay, so let's get back to Oreo, fast fashion industry. So aside from like being unsustainable, what else, like what are the other impacts of fast fashion? Oh yeah, so I was watching a Vox video like two weeks ago or something about this company called Shein. I didn't even know what it was, but apparently it's like a TikTok thing. They're like a very, very big um, fast fashion company. It was like, I think it was a big thing last year, like the end of last year-ish. Even though their like products were super cheap and like hundreds of, like I think a hundred-ish new products were coming up on their website daily. They had, you know, history of worker exploitation they were literally accused of violating like a slavery act in the UK and also in like Australia, I think. Staff, uh, like workers, were found to be working 75 hour weeks. Uh, yeah, like, and also I think they, they use like um, offensive imagery on their clothes as well. That wasn't even, that they weren't even allowed to use. So I guess that's what happens when you don't have quality control when you like pour all of your resources into producing stuff as fast as possible. Where, where was this company based? China. <laughs> its factories were in China. Oh. It was a Chinese factory, yeah. Uh, it was a Chinese company founded in 2008, I think. So has there any, been any like backlash towards Xin specifically for the fast fashion? Or like, do you think people dislike fast fashion as a whole? I mean, obviously the consumers don't dislike it because it's like a huge industry but like its reputation is definitely going down it's definitely not smiled upon by like you know environmental activists but textile waste is still going up and there is basically no change in any industry trend relating to fast fashion so 
But I think it was, um, I think it was addressed in like COP26 last year. But I don't think they actually did anything to help. Opium 26. Yeah, COP26. It's funny that you mentioned China, because it's like, I think when people think about sustainable or unsustainable consumption, they oftentimes will associate that with China. Because like industrial hub, like countries that are known for being industrial hubs, like China or India, or even like Russia, where there's a lot of industrial waste, they produce, I think per ca- I think per inch of square land, they produce the most factory emissions as well. And with China specifically, it's because a lot of pollution essentially gets outsourced there, like the US selling their trash to China to take care of. I think they stopped doing that like a few years ago. They stopped accepting yeah. trash from countries. Yeah. And now in Hong Kong, we're building more incinerators. Yay. It's for all the bodies. What? <laughs> is it? I thought it would, is it not for like... No, it's for trash. Is it what? not for the COVID bodies? No, it's for trash. I thought there was also like a huge body pileup problem in Hong Kong now. What? I, I can't even tell if you're being serious. No, 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 I'm being serious. Do I, do I not know this? Okay, I'm just dumb, probably. But you gotta cut out all these awkward silences. Yeah, I will, I will. I, I mean, that's what I do, right? Okay, this is Editor Me, and for context, we literally did not talk for the better part of a minute. Okay, so, next up will probably be... Yeah, let me just drink some water. Uh, that was just all. Um, so the next topic is right, how do you convince corporations to produce more sustainably, like incentives for sustainable consumption or production? I mean, like a lot of policies that. Uh, wait, I, I think it's important to say like a lot of the times corporations do have blueprints in place for how they can go in environmentally friendly or sustainable. Like a lot of times they do have Plan Bs uh, in case of short in case of like shortages and those translate very easily into um how they can develop more sustainably in the future but the problem is those companies aren't playing their hand so long as there is profit to be made so long as they can like milk the capital so as long as they can milk revenue from the current methods of consumption they're not going to like change so i think uh one of the main ways in which they're convinced to reduce more sustainably through like consumer backlash. You want to show them that sustainability is a very clear factor in terms of like your purchasing decisions. Because like let's face it, like the majority of people uh, when they make this when they make decisions about what to buy, the vast majority of people don't really look at the environmental implications. Or even if they do, like at most it's probably things like. Do, do I use a plastic bag or did I bring a cloth bag or did I bring a cloth bag? But most people probably don't think twice about buying steak at the supermarket. They probably don't think twice about buying something in plastic packaging. So I think that sort of mindset, uh, like if we can translate that into backlash and if we can demonstrate to companies that that actually matters in terms of what consumers are likely to buy, I think they're likely to begin shifting away from that. What do you think? There's also the idea of like um, the circular economy, right? Where you 
you know, like refurbish, recycle, reuse、um, existing products、um, to use them as long as possible. There's companies in, there's like startups in Hong Kong that do that. Like, there's a company called Denim Unspun, which takes like old used garments. And then converts it into like custom jeans that you can buy. I should be paid for this, honestly. I'm advertising for them. But there are companies that actually specialize in, you know, circular consumption and that kind of thing. But I feel like circular consumption is kind of also like a, I, like a very idyllic situation, similar to、um, sustainable consumption, because it implies that everyone will cooperate with this and there will like be. Infrastructure already set up to、um, to accommodate for like e waste or、uh, textile waste. So, yeah. Is this just kind of similar to the like the reduce, reuse, recycle thing that we're all taught in primary school? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I mean recycling in itself is kind of problematic. How so? Well, I mean, Hong Kong itself is pretty new to it. So, like, A, they don't have the infrastructure, as in, they need to send. I think I don't think that they have like prominent recycling plants. So they might need to send the recyclable material to other countries for recycling. But also, like a lot of the trash bins themselves, people joke that you have like a trash bin with like three、um, bowls, but then it's just one yeah, bin. Just、yeah. three openings. Like,、yeah. that's a genuine thing like you see pretty commonly. That, that happened in our school for the longest time. Exactly. Wait, sorry, wait, what was the point of this? But what was the point you were making? Oh, I was just saying、um, recycling is. Oh, oh, like, oh. Yeah. And a lot of these goals are very idyllic. Okay. But, like, even considering it's idyllic, do you think there are any more reasonable methods that we can actually use? Because obviously, in our status quo, any form of. Long term sustainability is going to seem very un. It's going to seem like a dream, like a pipe dream. I think, I think circular economy could be possible, but there are some like concrete conditions that have to be met, and we haven't met. Well, I mean, we haven't completely fulfilled any of those. They're basically like one, informing consumers and companies what's going on, two, like the technical innovations to make it possible. Uh, three, environmental policy to accommodate、um, circular economy. And four, support from the authorities, like the government, whatever, be it in the form of like subsidies to cover profit loss or whatever. Okay. So, like, governments being able to f- actually follow up and follow through with like environmental policies. Okay. I think that's fair. So, like, beyond companies, how do you think we can convince countries to produce sustainably? Or, like, how can we convince c- countries to, or the authorities, to follow through on their environmental policies? I mean, I think, as you said, it's really about informing the consumer about the problem. And, you know, just in terms of getting like, companies to change their policy, that's definitely the first thing. Because, for example, if consumers、um, ask for transparency, that might serve as like, a prerequisite for sustainability. Because you know, corporate reputation is on the line. If you become more sustainable,、um, you might have like softer government regulations. If you report your、um, ESG you know, business model, you know, consumers might trust you more. And there are a lot of these qualitative benefits that come with 
uh, sustainability, but it's like a very risky move for one company only to change, as you said. So there needs to be some large industry action. I feel like I've said industry action like four times in this podcast, but you have, yeah. Okay, I think something that's, I think something that I found interesting was the nationally determined contributions, which is like each country sets uh, like specific standards for sustainable consumption that they swear they're going to reach by next year or however periodically these contributions are set. But the thing is, they're not binding in any way. Like, they're, you could literally submit a blank piece of paper and that'll just be accepted. Or you could send in a paper that says you're gonna end like all climate change by next year. And that would also be equally accepted. So I, I found it really strange that they're not binding or that there aren't any sort of checks and balances in terms of like what countries actually do in regards to their nationally determined contribution. Okay, so to give a bit more background, basically NDCs are part of the Paris Agreement and they're updated every five years to, you know, to meet the current goal and they're made more strict or restrictive. And they talk about this in the COPs and they, I think they changed it in COP26 if I'm not mistaken. But I think the reason, I'm pretty sure the reason why is because you need to change it every like five years anyway. So there's kind of no point in making it legally binding and then dissolving it and then making it legally binding again. But you're right in saying that there, there's not enough like strict clamping down on these kind of contributions, especially when a lot of countries just, you know, lay back and like roll back all of these regulations, whatever, like India and <laughs> COP26, like at the end. But yeah, that's definitely a problem. A more controversial method as well is the idea of climate justice, where basically like countries that produce the most emissions or produce the most pollution are also penalized in some way. Like countries that produce the countries that produce the most emissions, uh, some people suggest that they should be forced to also open their borders to environmental refugees or that they should like compensate the countries that are most directly affected by climate change. Uh, Actually, yeah. um, when I was researching for a MUN conference, I saw this thing called like climate clubs that someone had suggested as in like amendment or like betterment to the Paris Agreement. Basically, it's like a group of um, like a given number of countries that are willing to be very focused on climate action. Basically, what happens is when they don't meet like a given goal they get penalized but in being part of the club they get like financial resources for sustainable R&D or something like that I don't remember much but that was like a proposed solution like that was proposed by pr- proposed by a member of the MUN conference no 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 it was like it was proposed by some oh. like professor in response to the Paris Agreement oh okay because he was arguing that it's clearly not enough which I agree with definitely like we probably have to like come to a closing remarks though. but yeah are we Oh. Yeah, we're, we're more than over, I think we're like 34 minutes, Wait, really? 33 minutes. Oh, yeah. okay, that felt short. Okay, so now that we've uh, more than passed the 30 minute mark, um, I guess we do this every episode now. Um, it's time for us to make our closing remarks. 
Yeah, today we started off with fast fashion and sustainable consumption, but we kind of devolved into like the problems and feasibilities of all of these proposed solutions and what exactly uh, we can or cannot do to solve it. Um, it was a really interesting discussion, I think. It's not like, for example, fast fashion isn't something we see like physically, but it's obviously a very big problem. I think a lot of times the frustrations I have with sort of like environmental gear conversations is they all tend to devolve into just kind of generic like, oh, there's a big problem, we got to solve it, but no one actually is willing to do anything uh, or no one's actually willing to make any sacrifices. So yeah, um, I, th I definitely learned a few things from just this conversation. MUN finally pays off. Debate finally pays off, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think if you look at the entirety of the fast fashion industry, I, yeah, I kind of agree with you, like only widespread industry action can actually bring it to an end or at least like change the perceptions of these practices. So I think it's a bit hopeless and we're all going to die. Yeah, okay. on that note, follow our Instagram, sociable underscore official for uh, updates and forms that you can fill out to, you know, on what you thought about this episode. Um, you can also vote on what you want to hear about next from Sociable if we decide to do that. <laughs> and on that note, thank you for listening if you made it this far and bye. Thank you.